0: Join the resistance. Come on, let's start by tactics. Have tactics a pass and match us. Tactics. Here's how
1: we practice. The conversation. David Pop culture continuum. And this is Patrick
2: Riccardi. This is John Elliott. Um, I think I unfortunately might have cut off the hi everybody that you said, but uh, people can infer what went on before. This is Patrick Riccardi.
1: Well, that's okay because I almost forgot my name. Yeah, that's
2: I, yeah. It's, so maybe it's good. Um, I started because your good morning or your hello everybody was was kind of weak, to be honest. <laughs> uh, oh, this is John Elliot. Did I say that? Oh, hey, can I mention um, I'm super high on painkillers because I have uh, I've had a migraine all day. So uh, don't mind me if I forget anything or everything. Uh, this Hi, John-
1: everybody. This is Patrick Riccardi
2: and this is john elliott and this is pop culture continuum and this week
1: we are doing
2: (laughs) i'll I'll take the reins
1: underground versus lou reed
2: yes in honor of uh lou reed's deaths we're comparing the first velvet underground album with lou reed's last real album ecstasy um he did do he did do a couple things after that he did uh Basically, what was a studio recording of a stage play of The Raven based on Edgar Allan Poe's work and life, um, that he did, which Just, is kind of cool because I think he did some old uh Lou Reed and Velvet Underground songs, worked them in there too. But he had like Steve Buscemi and he had uh Anthony from Anthony and the Johnsons on there, um that's pretty deep. so yeah an interesting but not really an album then of course he did it, he did a live album of that of um, after that and then of course he did the the Lou Reed and Metallica album which uh, <laughs>
1: I'm not I did not know about that and I've not heard it how, how is it uh,
2: I haven't listened because it got it got panned across the board um, so from what I gather I, I might have heard a snippet but from what I gather it was pretty terrible Um and kind of sad that that's the last thing he recorded. But we can always remember the last thing he did as the uh, his review of Kanye West's new album. So, uh,
1: I, what what did he say? He loved it. Okay. <laughs> uh, well, maybe that the bad reviews were from like people who like Lou Reed hated it because it wasn't Lou Reed enough, and people who, li- hate, who like Metallica hated it because it wasn't Metallica enough.
2: Right. And there's not that's not really a lot of crossover in that audience. I wouldn't imagine yeah um so that yeah that could be the case uh i'm i'm a, in the lou reed camp pretty staunchly so i'm not a metallica
1: fan um is metallica one of the bands that you your 14 year old self what, was a fan of or did that never cross your interest third, like yeah
2: they they came out like during the end of my uh my flirtation with heavy metal i think their first album Kill 'Em all i had uh which is actually, I I still can listen to because it's kind of thrash, so uh, it's not as like it's not like that plotting stuff that they did later, mm-hmm. as much. Um, but no, I was never super into Metallica. Um, but yeah, Lou Reed, obviously a legend. Obviously, there was almost nothing I listened to in high school would have existed without him. So uh, he's he's earned his legend, I, I think. Uh, you know he gets street poet tossed at him a lot. Um, and as far as rock lyricists, I I prefer him to Dylan, both musically and and lyrically. Um, but
1: I do I do sense similarities in their singing style.
2: There are, but I also prefer his voice. Uh, he's definitely the more disaffected, deadpan, definitely New York voice. He's he's got a New York voice, whereas Bob Dylan. Uh, doesn't do as much for me with him, and also Bob Dylan tries to sing a lot more than Lou Reed does, which is maybe not the best idea for Bob Dylan. <laughs> but yeah, no, definite. I mean, they're definite. Uh, they they can be mentioned in the same sentence as far as singers and, and lyricists. I think and influence, although uh, to the kind of music I listened to, Lou Reed was more of an influence than Dylan. So, um, and he was famously prickly with uh with journalists and stuff which was great i read all the i remember reading all the lester bangs uh interviews with him a long time ago and and he was just such a dick which i loved um (laughs) he uh he famously he did in what was it 75 i guess he released metal machine music which was a double album of just feedback like there was Nobody was playing anything. He just turned the amps and machines on and let it let it go and uh, in an interview he he was going on and on about how no it, it, this is art and you have to listen to the overtones and if you keep listening you'll hear just randomly uh, snatches of classical music pieces come up in the distortion and he's like, that's just, that's just something that occurred like that's it's not a you know it wasn't anything that was played or anything and and went on and on for a whole article and then the next year when he was interviewed he was like no i was just making all that shit up i was just (laughs) fucking with people
1: well what was the point of of the album was there any point or is it just fucking with people
2: i think it was a pretty big fuck you i also read a quote from him afterwards saying uh something like they were lucky they got an album fuck them (laughs) So he was he was great. Um, Sorry, I'm pulling up, uh, I think, the last interview he did for Spin, uh, which I think was his last his last major music interview. Um, And and okay, so I'm going to read a little bit of it. Um, The the interviewer says, I want to know how you feel about the way you might be perceived. And Lou Reed, said, Lou Reed says, You're talking about critics and journalists. Listen, you're not talking about music. I don't want to get into this stupid subject with you. You brought it up. You shouldn't have. We had a good conversation, and now we're done. You feel better now? Did you find your angle? Do you think you did a good job? And the interviewer <laughs> says, The question wasn't a trick. And Lou says, I didn't think you were trying to trick anybody. This is the kind of shit you wanted all along. You saved it for last. What should I say? A guy says, I'm not looking for any particular ask, answer. Lou Reed, uh you could have talked music but this is what you wanted. The guy says, "Haven't I been asking about music the whole time?" Lou Reed says, "You're not interested in music. We're done talking." That's the <laughs> end of the, his last interview. <laughs> so, that's that's pretty great. Um he also uh the interviewer earlier on asked him, "I can't find it." Um but he asked him about like the subject matter of his songs and um and uh lou reed says well you know what maybe if you live a very restricted life my music's not the stuff you should be listening to <laughs> it's just great i mean that's great for somebody mm-hmm. in his 60s to be still doing that shit so I've, I've always admired that side of lou reed um but but let's get into the velvet underground uh album and nico the first album uh because th- this touches on something that i think a lot of people don't give lou reed credit for um and and my my first pick is the first song on the album, which is Sunday morning, which I think is very uh, it shows a sweetness and a warmth and uh, and compassion I feel like. Uh, do you remember the song at all?
1: yeah, it's it's lovely. it's like it kind of starts off like a children's song. yeah, yeah, it's it's kind of dreamlike all the way through. It's really really sweet, pleasant and you can hear
2: I mean basically you can hear bell and sebastian's entire career starting in this song <laughs> uh as well as you know some of the some of the more downer smith songs and stuff um or more acoustic smith songs i guess but uh yeah i, I think it's and he's done a lot of these kind of songs throughout his career but uh, most people just concentrate on the nastier stuff uh so i'm really i'm really this this song, like this isn't the song that jumps out at you from the album. When you when you first listen to the album, it's heroin. Like heroin is gonna grab you, and uh, and maybe I'm waiting for the man. Um, but this song over the years has become, I think, my favorite song on the album. So let's listen. Let's listen to a bit of Sunday morning. Yeah, so you're, you you uh, had you listened to this whole album as an album before? You said you weren't sure if you had.
1: No, I hadn't. This is the first time, and it's kind of disappointing. It's taken me this long to to listen to such a classic, and lo- and I've loved I loved every song on it. There is no, there's really no bad songs, and I can see all the things that it, all the things that I love from later that it, that it, well, I can't see all of them, but lots of the stuff that I you know that I know. It referenced or not it influenced so it, it's a wonderful album
2: yeah i i've read a few um things not just not just after he died but over the years as well um lots lots of uh critics and people saying uh this is the best rock and roll album of all time which i mean i it's it's not my my all-time favorite but i could i could see why people would say it um it's just great and what it you know there's there's all the famous quotes, like I, I guess Brian Eno said, um, you know, only only three thousand people or whatever, or not that many people listen to the Velvet Underground when they are around, but everybody who did went out and started a band. <laughs> and,
1: uh, Isn't that a quote about someone? Oh, I thought I heard that about somebody else too. It's it's a great quote. It's yeah, no, it was originally Eno on the Velvet
2: Underground. I know that. Okay. Um, and and Lou Reed had the famous quote at the time. Um, one chord is great. Two chords and you're pushing it. Three chords and you're into jazz. <laughs> so uh, and they do a lot with uh, two chords on this album for sure. Um, sorry, let me let me pull up the uh, track list, which I should know by heart. But um, uh, well, so so the next song on the actually let's let's alternate songs so we're not doing it necessarily in order. Um, so your your first pick. Um, as, as far as chronology on this album was uh, Femme Fatale. so you want to talk about that?
1: Yeah, I, I, I it kind of for some reason it kind of reminded me of the Mary Tyler Moore theme song, like an evil version of it. <laughs> and uh, her voice is is just beautiful, and it's re- I think this this song is is the is the one that highlights it better than any other song on this album. And uh, the backup singers coming in, it kind of like a fifty song, but not really. It's just a great song, and it has the kind of fun, evil lyrics.
2: And yeah, this song was covered uh, by a million people over the years. I know Big Star covered it, uh, REM covered it. One of one of two songs on this album they covered, uh, Drama Rama. If anybody remembers them, uh, covered it. A really great. I'm I'm surprised you said Nico's voice is beautiful because that's that's the. Well, there are a lot of elements that that turn casual listeners off, but I think her voice was one of the main ones. That kind of Teutonic, almost deadened.
1: Uh... Yeah, I love that. <laughs> no, oh, I
2: do too. It's great. Uh, but I think people have a hard time with it. It's very. We should mention the album overall. Even today would be kind of avant-garde. I I feel like. Um, I, really. But for 1967, well, it. You have to think about what was out at that time. Uh, I, I guess maybe not as much, just because so much has has come from it. Um,
1: well, some songs I just I felt like sounded like just '60s songs. Like "Run, Run, Run" sounded like a very much like a, a '60s song to me. So I'm just surprised. Maybe the whole album, because there's other stuff like Altamora's parties did seem pretty out there. But I guess some, maybe some songs, but not all songs.
2: Yeah. Uh, well, I, I just, uh, especially for that time, it was it was not okay what was going down i mean it, mm-hmm. this was the summer of love and uh and you know it was all it was right before things started going really bad with uh the martin luther king and and robert kennedy assassination and and then music started turning more dark um
1: right it was after rfk right this is 69
2: he wasn't he he, shot he was 68? 68 too yeah uh, both him and mlk were 68 oh, okay um so this was all previous to that, but but the Summer of Love was all very hippy dippy and upbeat, and you know it was a uh, Sergeant Pepper and and uh, all that.
1: When's the Summer of
2: Love? Sixty-seven. This year. Oh, I year didn't realize this that. This album came out. Yeah. Okay. So this was definitely in uh, in stark contrast to what was going on in the rest of music, um, and I think another famous quote: share. Uh, said, uh, about the Velvet Underground. Because I guess somebody said, uh, do they think, you know, the Velvet Underground's going to replace, you know, the Summer of Love or whatever, that kind of pop music. And, uh, she said, they'll replace nothing except maybe Suicide. <laughs> <laughs> so it was, I mean, definitely, I think the last two songs, Black Angel's Death Song and European Sun were pretty out there. There's, you know, there's that kind of, uh, Black Angel's Death Song has that really sawing viola, which is prominent in a couple other songs too, but but kind of very discordant. And then European Sun is is also, uh, you know, it's a it's a eight minute song that, that's kind of a lot of distortion and stuff. So um, it does it does have a '60s sound. I don't think anything can avoid that from the period, just because of the limitations of of the recording uh, processes at that time and
1: stuff, but.
2: But no, sounds...
1: I, I I hear what you're saying. I just I'm just surprised it was so far out there because some of the songs just sounded so. Yeah. Are you
2: there? All right. Uh, hold on. I think we got cut off. Sorry about that. Uh, cut out. Yeah. Yeah. I go on with what you were saying if you remember.
1: Uh, I think I was just talking about the what 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 I took from it. Being sounded like the 60s because a lot of the a lot of the ways they use guitars and I'm just surprised it was so avant-garde but I guess it does make sense when I think of those those later songs that go on forever and yeah and just the subject matter of some of the lyrics is was really out there
2: yeah for sure I think lyrically that was that was the main part of it but also well we'll get into some of the other songs let's listen to a bit of femme fatale since we haven't done that yet.
4: She does to please She's just a little tease See the way she
1: Um, and listening to Nico singing kind of reminds me of Stereo Lab a little bit.
2: Oh, de- yes, definitely another another one influenced by them. Um, yeah, that's a good point. Um, and Andy Warhol also didn't mention uh, famously produced this album for what whatever that means. There's been a lot of talk about what he actually did, um, which seems to be not much.
1: He not not much. As far as musically producing, but maybe a lot in, like, getting their name out there? The, yeah,
2: oh, for sure. They they toured in, like, 66, uh, and I guess 67, uh, as part of uh, some event he had called the Exploding Plastic Inevitable. And so he definitely got their names out there uh, as, a, as a hip, you know, a hip cultural uh, thing to check out.
1: And did he force Nico on them? Or is that just kind of what happened? You know, if- I'm...
2: I've read I've read a lot of different things about it, um, and I'm not really sure. Like, I heard Lou Reed was dating her, so that's why she was on. And, yes, I heard uh, Warhol forced her on them. So I, I don't really know. It's probably, you know, uh, a conflagration of all those things.
1: Was there ever a Velvet Underground album that didn't include her?
2: Oh, yeah. No, none of the others did. This really? Not... Yes. Yeah, oh, she, that's funny. She went or... on and did some solo albums that I think you would like. Uh, a lot... Uh, The first one, I think uh, Lou Reed like wrote all the songs on it. um, (laughs) And, uh, and John Cale, also a member of the Velvet Underground produced it. Um, I think he produced a couple of hers. Uh, I'll, I'll share those with you. I think you would probably like them.
1: Is John Cale the guy that's famous for the, the track that's all. Nope. That's, that's John Cage. John Cage. Okay. Yeah.
2: (laughs) I know. I used to have a, a lot of trouble keeping their names apart when I saw them too. Um, no, turned fifteen. What? Yeah, yeah. John Cale was uh, the uh, the viola player on here, and he was he was a uh, classical music um, student, and he was he was learning a lot about um, from. Uh, he played like piano and and bass and stuff too. He uh, he was learning a lot about um, avant-garde music and like atonal stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was his studies and and Lou reed was more from um straight up rock and roll and and doop Lou reed wrote for uh wrote novelty songs for a uh uh small independent label um that was like his day job for a little while so he they had to like try to come up with songs that would be regional hits and he wrote he did a song called the ostrich which was supposed to be a new dance that of course didn't catch on or anything
1: but um <laughs> That's a good combination. Avant garde with this guy whose whose background is, is much more straight.
2: Yeah, but well Lou Reed also studied uh, literature or poetry, I'm not I, I'm not sure um, in in school. So that's that's where the the lyric the mm-hmm. lyrical stuff comes in. Um, but yeah, I'm I'm glad you like this album and I'm glad you like Nico's voice especially.
1: Is Cal still around?
2: Yeah, John Cale's still around.
1: Is he just? Does he do a lot of producing over the years after Velvet Underground? Is is that what he ended up doing? Or he's
2: done a lot of producing. He's done a uh, a lot of solo work too. Okay. Um, some some good stuff, especially in the '70s. Um, and then he he and Lou Reed uh, got together in 1990 and did a, an album called Songs for Drella, um, which was songs about Andy Warhol. Um, that's a that's a really good album too but
1: um well let's uh i think Andy Warhol is a more interesting figure than than he the you he has like he's more interesting than the caricature of him has become
2: oh for sure and Lou Reed talked about that uh i I remember reading interviews with him around the time that Songs for Drella album came out and he was saying you know people knew uh surface Andy but they didn't they didn't really get the stuff that was going on underneath and i think you i mean He's just – he was such a big part of of uh, the, the culture, Andy Warhol, that I think people don't stop to remember kind of how revolutionary he really was,
1: mm-hmm. especially and I guess at I, the beginning. After he got shot and everything, I guess things started becoming more about just Andy Warhol. Like he became – not a parody of himself, but more like a product of himself.
2: Yeah, Lou well, there's a he sang about that too on on the album after after Warhol got shot, he turned into society Andy, according to <laughs> Lou Reed. But uh but yeah, no, Andy Warhol was definitely interesting and, and very forward thinking and I, I think he he's probably become kind of, like you said, a, a caricature, the idea of him. But he was doing he was doing some intelligent things um, and he kind of saw which way the wind was blowing early on in the culture.
1: I guess that's what happens when you're working in advertising.
2: Yeah, for sure. Well, and that is the way the culture was turning more towards advertising. Uh, Well, okay. Since we mentioned it, um, let's listen to a bit of uh, I'm Waiting for the Man, which is one of my picks and uh, definitely two chord song rock Rock, but it's got kind of a discordant element to it. The piano just kind of banging away in the background.
1: Yeah, it's awesome. It's it's a really strong sound that that drives the song. It's really neat. And we haven't mentioned uh,
2: Maureen Tucker, who is the drummer, uh, who is very uh, some words I've heard to describe her are primitivist, uh, huh. primitive drums, and also uh, not able to play drums was would be another way to put it um but it definitely worked i mean these guys weren't dumb they knew it it was it was intentional her her drum style i'm i'm sure um and it worked for this music uh but and you can you can hear a bit of it here on uh, i'm waiting for the man lyrically about uh scoring heroin on the corner so here's i'm waiting for the man
3: Six dollars in my hand up to lexington one two five. to feel sick and dirty mode. First, from my mind, I'm just looking forward to different. Of mine, I'm for my man. He
2: comes, he's all just in black. On, on first listen, the, the first time I heard this, which was sometime in the 80s, I, I couldn't say when. Um, so, so that's a bit of the, the lyrical content that was different at the time. Uh, there was really nobody doing this kind of realism and, and darker side of life. I mean, maybe there, there was this band called the Fugs, but they were really tongue in cheek uh, with Mm -hmm. the way they were doing it and not, they were cool. Um, but, but there's really not a lot of humor to, to the way the Velvet Underground did this
1: yeah it's really raw yeah
2: yeah um so uh well let's get let's get to it the centerpiece of the album i think literally and uh and as far as as uh thematically and what just the biggest song on the album which was your pick which was heroin so uh yeah go to it pat
1: it's it's uh it's the path the song takes is is pretty fun like just ignoring the lyrics just just how it sounds it's just slow slow it starts to speed up and it's really fast really fast and it slows down and then it's insanely fast and almost just the music's almost discordant by the time you get to the end and then it slows down and then it stops it's just yeah i like that
2: so it yeah it almost mimics i would imagine uh heroin uh right heroin run yeah mm-hmm. <laughs> whatever i don't even know what you call it a heroin <laughs> trip well, It's not really <laughs> a trip uh, a heroin session but yeah i mean this is the one this is the song that you're going to remember from the album if you only listen to it once i would think um like you said dynamics and definitely i mean i don't even think it's even kind of discordant it's definitely <laughs> discordant at uh, at the end when it's just building and pounding and um just a great song the the uh, the guitar line that like the quiet guitar part is really really nice and pretty um,
1: and I like his voice I we talked about that at the beginning I guess for me before this album before these two albums I just knew a Walk on the Wild Side that's a famous one right Yep and so and it's pretty much the same on this stuff it it's it's a nice voice it's pleasant.
2: I love his voice. I mean, I think it it works for the material, and he uh, he never oversteps his limitations. I don't mm-hmm. feel like right. Uh, he uses them to his advantage. Right. Yeah. Did we? Sorry, I'm I'm so high myself. Uh, have we played? Did we play a bit of heroin yet? We should do that now. We haven't. Let's do it.
3: Death of me Heroine. It's my wife And it's my life <laughs> Because a man. To my vein Needs to a center
2: I mean that's that's just a massive song. Uh, there's no getting around it. I think that was that opened a lot of people's minds to, uh, in much the way "Revolver," the way uh, which we talked about on an earlier episode, uh, did for people musically, just as far as what was possible. I think "Heroin" did as well. Um, so so for for my next song, my last pick from this album uh, is another Nico. Uh, song song I should, uh, and I mean I think it's it's obvious to everybody. Lou Reed wrote wrote all the stuff. Uh, him and John Cale, um, and uh, Nico didn't have any input as far as writing, but uh, but she definitely left her mark on the album. And this is another one that I feel like there's there's some darkness to the lyrics, but it's also another one that shows a lot of compassion. Mm-hmm. I feel like. Um, which, as I said, he's maybe not as known for, but but throughout uh, his career and especially the Velvet Underground catalog, there are, there are a lot of songs like this. And I would recommend to you, Pat, in fact, I'll probably send it to you, uh, the third Velvet Underground album, which is my personal favorite of theirs, um, which is just called the Velvet Underground, which is a lot more uh, in this mode of, of this song than, uh, than the other stuff. Uh, and this is a uh, "I'll Be Your Mirror," which also has some some great lyrics to it as well. Um,
1: and her, her again, her voice is is lovely in this song. Plus, yeah. there's a tambourine. Yes, a great tambourine. Uh, not enough
2: tambourines in pop music anymore. Um, no, her voice is great and and puts it across uh, better than Lou Reed could have. I, I've heard live versions with Lou Reed singing it, and uh, and uh, He'll never match Nico in my in my mind but uh, yeah here's I'll be your mirror
4: I be your mirror reflect what you are in case you don't know I be the wind rain and the sunset, light on your door, to show that you're home, when you think the night has seen your mind, that inside you're twisted and unkind, let me stand to show that you are blind, please put down your hands, cause I see you. darkness so you won't be afraid when you think that night
1: has in your okay mind. i was reading about Nico and it, i i think it was wikipedia or was somewhere I, there's a story that that she became addicted to heroin and I, the surprising part was it, it was not when she was with velvet underground
2: it was no it was later yeah I, didn't she die from uh, she fell ne- off a bike
1: right she she gotten off, so it's kind of a shame she she'd gotten like she'd she was on methadone and she just fell off her bike and there was some like weird screw up at the hospital wherever she was.
2: yeah, yeah.
1: And now, her son was through an affair with a, a famous French actor, and the famous French actor never admitted that they were related, but his so his parents raised him.
2: Oh yeah, I, I vaguely recall that as well. <laughs> interesting life. She did have an interesting life, uh, uh, just the kind of tragedy you would, you would want her life to be from listening to these songs and on here and from her albums. Um,
1: oh, I wouldn't
2: want her life to be tragic. No, not, you know what I mean? (laughs) Yeah. Not want, but, uh, it, it It fits. fits. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, no, she was, she was great. And, uh. Let's see. Well, let's go to your next song. This was another one.
1: Or did uh, we play I'll Be Your Mirror already? Fuck.
2: I, yeah, we did. Well, okay. We did. If we didn't, I'll insert it in there. Uh, I'm sure there was some break where I could have just played it. So... Yeah. <laughs> um, the next song was your pick and another one that R.E.M. covered. And that was the way I first heard it. it was a B-side of, of one of their early singles, uh, their version. I didn't even know who the Velvet Underground was at that point. So... Um, but uh, there she goes again. so let's hear your thoughts on that one.
1: Uh, I don't I forget why I picked it. <laughs> I thought it was really sixties. Very sixties. and i I liked it and I think I think one of the things that every time I hear the song and it doesn't go away is there's a I guess there's a like eighty or nineties uh, alternative song thats there she goes again. It, it made me think of that. Oh, the laws. Is that what it is? There, the, there she goes. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So I forget why I picked it. So I don't really have a lot to say about it. It's a
2: nice song. It's a, it's the most pop song on the album, like the most sixties pop, Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. song on the album. And, uh, and, and yet, you know, it contains the line, you better hit her. (laughs) So (laughs) there's Lou, Lou throwing that in, into what would otherwise be a nice, pleasant song. Um, but yeah, let's uh, let's listen to There She Guys again. Yeah, and then there there are a bunch like you said. Um, there's no, there are no bad songs on the albums. I don't think so. No, uh, tomorrow's parties I could have picked. Venus and Furs I could have picked. It's got that nice like Middle Eastern sound to it.
1: And it has the I guess it's a viola. I thought it was violins. But I think we've had this this discussion before where I'm wrong about the string instrument, but it's it's really neat. The the and a great beat. Yeah, and
2: and about S and M. Um, what isn't? <laughs> when you get down to it. Yeah, what isn't. Uh and then there are as I mentioned Black Angel's Death Song and European Sun which end the album which are on on a uh more disjointed avant-garde note. Um
1: but so after this album uh did Andy Warhol still back them or were they kind of on their own after? No, nope, they
2: yeah, they went they went their own way. Uh hmm. I I mean, I think Lou Reed remained friends with, with Andy Warhol, but he wanted to, you know, forge his own path on his own merits.
1: I gotcha, yeah. Um, Makes sense. And he kind of, as the as 70s on, Andy Warhol kind of became more 70s. And I guess Velvet Underground just stayed themselves.
2: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, of note, I'm looking at the Wikipedia article. Um, Robert Gow the the famous uh rock critic said of of it uh in 1977 that it never stops getting better this <laughs> album and and i would agree um and i'm i'm really glad that you enjoyed it because um, it i know at least uh in the 80s when i had put songs on on mixtapes like i said it was it was not met with uh pleasure <laughs> by the recipients for the most part and in fact, I think my actual introduction to the Velvet Underground was uh, from a mixtape a friend of mine made me, um, and he'd put the live version of uh, the song "Rock and Roll" uh, from 1969, Velvet Underground Live, on it. And I was like, "Oh, this is the Velvet Underground." Okay. <laughs>
1: um, I love those moments when there's something you know of, but you know don't know them, and then when you find out what they are, and it's 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 as good as the the hype. The hype, yeah.
2: Yeah, I mean, just a massively influential band and album, and everybody knows at least the record cover, if you don't know, with the but uh, big banana, Andy Warhol banana on it. Um, Is it
1: now, Andy Warhol, that banana was from something else and they used it for, or did he make it just for this album?
2: I thought he made it just for the album. Okay. Um, And a very iconic image. Uh, yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> and... and
2: fucking great all around i mean worth worth all the praise that it's gotten over the years and and like we said earlier it's not like it was a huge hit on on immediate release it took it took a couple decades for for its uh influence to really uh catch up and
1: what's nice is that it's not one of those things where it never got the credit it deserved and the people kind of went into obscurity
2: Right, no, exactly. It wasn't it wasn't Big Star. Yeah. Um, exactly, yeah. Who although I mean similarly they they did have belatedly the uh the respect that that they were due, but I mean it it took it took a really long time. I I didn't even know who Big Star was until uh the replacement song Alex Chilton. Um and then I was, uh, and I thought that was just like some character name they made up, like they did with Gary's got a boner or something. <laughs> I didn't know Alex Chilton was a real person until I I looked into it more. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I mean the Velvet Underground was always always there. Um, it just took a while for the general public to to get to know him more.
1: Have and we done a big star? No, uh, I mean
2: I picked one of their songs for uh for our cover our cover right, songs yeah. episode, but no we. We should definitely do a big star.
1: I think so. I think I, I think Alex Shilton himself is just interesting. He, he's kind of like Lou Reed, right? He started off doing pop. Well, not yeah. like Lou Reed, but he started off doing... He was in the Box was, Tops. Uh, yeah, he, not a boy band, but pretty similar. Close, kinda, yeah. And yeah. then he, he went on to do, do really awesome stuff. Yeah, and, and just a
2: complete fucking weirdo. And, and,
1: oh, I didn't know that.
2: I mean, well, nobody can really get a handle on who he was as a person um i mean very hard to know kind of person and hard to figure out um, from Mm -hmm. what i can tell but no yeah he yeah let's let's plan on doing a big star one at some point um well you want to move on to ecstasy sounds good okay i mean did you have any more on the velvet underground you wanted to mention
1: i don't think so I, i think i said everything
2: okay uh, so, Ecstasy was uh, Lou Reed's last real album, like I said, released in 2000. So, he was, I don't know, what, 60, late 50s uh, when it came out. Uh, and, uh, and it was his 18th solo album. What did he die of? Well, that's interesting. Uh, heroin, indirectly. So, he contracted uh, hepatitis from a needle. Uh, that he'd uh, from a, a dirty needle when using heroin. Although uh, he'd been clean for a long time when the hepatitis showed up. Um, I mean, decades. So, uh, so then that the hepatitis uh, w- caused him to need a a liver transplant, and then he he died of uh, complications from the,
1: the oh, liver that transplant. Sucks. Yeah. So he had, the hepatitis was probably dormant. Dormant in, in his system. years and years, and then for whatever reason, it came out. And, oh, that's yeah, that's yeah, rough. it is rough. Um, I mean, he lived the
2: life, he yeah, he, it's uh, not like
1: he was 50, he was pretty old. Yeah, he
2: was, he was 71, so um, and he lived hard. I mean, he looked
1: 71 at yeah. least. But you know, I mean, we're going to talk about these songs. But his voice didn't suffer that much.
2: Well, that's the thing with uh, having that limited range and not trying to overextend yourself yeah. with it. I think that you, I mean, you're not going to hear. Uh, he he's never going to turn into Bono where he's you know hoarse and and grasping for notes. Yeah, he he kept it up, which was nice. Um, I Eat mean, Not
1: as impressive as Robin Hitchcock, but still impressive in its own way. No, well,
2: Robin Hitchcock was a better singer
1: overall. But, but, right, but I mean, he was a better singer in the beginning, and he kept that great singing 25 years later.
2: Yeah, but like we also said, Robin Hitchcock was never a, a screamer or anything, and neither yeah. was Lou Reed. Uh, so, no, it is nice because, you know, like if you listen to late Sinatra, like when he was doing those duets albums and stuff, um it it was pretty rough, his voice. And and that's just I mean, part of that's just a project of aging, you know. You're
1: Yeah, and I guess late Sinatra was older than Lou Reed ever got. Right? I think
2: eighties, yeah. 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 So um but but yeah, no, that it, it is cool that uh that he was able to
1: keep his voice uh, I mean it's it's a little bit different, but when when a guy lives that that Heart of a life, and he still still sounds very similar in the studio. It, it's it's something to admire.
2: It is, and I I mean it is different, but I also think it's like even richer and more expressive in in some ways. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. And and you can't say the same of Dylan, another non-singer uh, who can't really sing, whose voice has just gone to hell. And he's, I mean, I think part of that would in Dylan's case too is just kind of a general disregard for. His audience, in my opinion, <laughs> uh, but but yeah, so uh, so Lou Reed ecstasy. Are, do you have
1: ghosts opening uh, shutters over there? I don't know why this chair started to to squeak, but yes, I do have ghosts.
2: Be sure and uh, leave them a, a bowl of chili. That's what that's what they <laughs> they like. The uh, ecstasy is a surprisingly good album um, from somebody of that advanced age.
1: I, I Yeah, I, I thought it was really good. I, I think there's a couple songs that could have been edited down, but for the most part, it's really good.
2: Well, yeah, there's <laughs> there's one song I'll, we'll talk about briefly. It's not either of our picks, but uh, there's definitely one song that was uh, – well, it's I'm an 18-minute thi- eight, song.
1: Well, I'm thinking of Like a Possum. I don't know Yeah, if that's- yeah. Yeah,
2: okay. it's 18 minutes long, although a pretty hilarious song uh, yeah in, yeah but
1: in it my view goes and goes and goes <laughs> and uh,
2: it goes and goes and goes and it is uh, it's it's very uh, kind of <laughs> very repetitive Yes, <laughs> yes. <laughs> like it's it's one simple riff repeated <laughs> for 18 minutes. Um, overall, and and it made me laugh, just the the first lines are, good morning, it's possum day. Feel yeah. like a possum in every way. Um, and then it goes on to talk about smoking crack and stuff. I mean, I have no fucking idea what it's about. <laughs> but it is at least fun for 18 minutes.
0: Um,
2: but let's, we'll start uh, at the beginning, my, my pick was uh, the first song, Paranoia, Key of E, which is kind of bluesy. I mean, it. I guess it uses a kind of blues progression to it, but uh, but still, still pretty rockin'. I mean, it's like mid-tempo rocking.
1: Song. It starts off with that muff- that muffled guitar. It's it's a pretty neat start.
2: Yeah. No. It's it sounds really good. Um, actually, the whole album sounds pretty good. Uh, and and it's there's there's nothing tricky necessarily about the lyrics. It's uh, about it's about paranoia. Somebody who's paranoid and and uh, thinking that the the narrator's sleeping around or whatever. And worse than Clinton in primetime. Worse than Clinton in primetime. Great line. Lots of great lyrics. I mean, that's always a thing with Lou Reed, but uh, he could have easily rested on his laurels at this point, and he still he still came up with uh, a lot of really memorable lyrics on this album. Um,
1: you know, it's funny. He uh, some of the songs on this album. I don't. I think maybe Baton Rouge and. Maybe modern dance. I don't know. There's a couple songs that remind me of Leo Kotke.
2: I am not familiar with Leo Kotke. I'm not
1: even gonna front. So, uh, I think he's more known for not singing. So his voice isn't especially his strong points. And so, but there's because he's a folk guitarist, and there's a couple albums where he does sing, and he kind of has a kind of same deadpan, talk singing going on, and just it's. I mean, these aren't. These aren't guitar acoustic. I mean, these aren't guitar songs. There's other instruments going on, but it's just it just it's what I was reminded of.
2: Okay, yeah, that's well. I'll have to check him out. For some reason, I thought he was a jazz guy, but but like a uh, a jazz fusion guy, Leo Kotke. So I, I think I don't know why I thought that, but I so I avoided him because um, I, I love jazz. But I after after kind of late period Coltrane, I I kind of get off the bandwagon with
1: jazz. I don't even know what jazz fusion is. I think it's something that's... I know it's... I think I might have heard it and then not wanted to hear it again. But what is it? Is it jazz and rock combined?
2: Yeah. Like, if. do you know Bitches Brew by Miles oh, Davis? Right. Yeah. 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 <laughs> there you go. And then, of course, there was, you know, smooth jazz and shit after that. Was it just...
1: That's not no, worth mentioning.
2: Yeah, no. There's no point to it. Um. But, well, it's... I mean, this this album is uh very simple but i think you know that was another thing that got leveled at lou reed was was simple but it's not really simple like it's hard to do simple the way lou reed does it because he wants to do songs that that are easy to latch onto. i feel like but obviously lyrically they're not they're not simple and i i think even musically they're not quite as simplistic as as you would think um there's more going on but but they you can still you can still hook into them um, because they're not too out there you know it's not rush basically right yeah um,
1: I can yeah I can see that I, I I'm, I'm surprised it's a complaint the simpleness because the lyrics aren't simple you're right and the music might be simple but who cares
2: well exactly I mean I think it's mostly a complaint from people who listen to rush <laughs> yeah, but uh, <laughs> But anyway, let's listen to a, a little bit of "Paranoia" Kyiv, e so you can get the the sense of what later period Lou Reed is like.
5: I remember when you had a dream, everything was what it seemed to be, but now nightmares replace everything. You're two hours late You said you thought someone had hit your gate So you hid hidden were afraid to wait Seeing shadows in the snow Seeing shadows in the snow Now your friend Godfrey is a perfect choice One minute down, next time rejoice He seems to have found the perfect voice Let's say everything he says is true You love me but I cheat on you And in my bedroom is a female zoo Worse than Clinton in prime time I swear to you I'm not with Jill or Joyce Or Sid or Sherry or Darlene or worse I'm not kissing you while inside I curse Paranoid you.
2: All right, and uh, your pick, uh, which would have been my pick had you not picked it, may be my favorite song on the album, but I'm, I i don't know. Uh, it might be your second pick is my favorite, too, uh, but Mad. So you want to talk about that?
1: Uh, Do you I not re- have notes? I don't have notes on Mad. What, what, I a- have it reminded me which one mad was. I know it when I was listening to it. It was one of my favorites, but I, I can't remember why I picked it. It's pretty I, fucking
2: funny, man. It's it's a guy talking about how uh, well he's been found out that he's having an
1: affair, and it's making oh, him,
2: It makes him mad.
1: <laughs> yeah, and it's it's well you're talking about simple. This is the. It's it's kind of a simple rhyme scheme. It's like mad, sad, glad, that kind of thing. But it's it's yeah, it's a fun song,
2: right? Which is which is hilarious because you know what a good lyricist Lou Reed is, and and right, so it's yeah. kind of it's having fun with all that.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, you're in the song. There's 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 other other rhymes in there that are simple, like childlike stuff, and it's just it works with with what he's talking about. Like I think it's like. Uh, Dumb and scum rhyme, rhyme together, that kind of thing.
2: Right, he. I mean, it's fucking funny, man. Which is not necessarily something you expect from from Lee Reed, but uh, it's a really it's a really catchy song, and lyrically it's it's a uh, it's amusing, and and uh, a little a little out there as as far as what you would expect. You know, it, it defines yeah. your expectations. Um. So yeah, no, it's really cool, and and uh, he didn't. He did that kind of thing uh, a lot throughout his career, where he would rhyme a word with the same word in the next verse and stuff. Um, <laughs> but nobody would would necessarily accuse him of uh, of laziness or anything because they knew uh, he was doing it for a purpose. Right. Or they assumed he was. Maybe he was being lazy. Who knows? You know. But, <laughs> um,
1: you get to, you get to be lazy, I guess, if you're Lou Reed. Yeah. So
2: so let's listen to Mad for a bit.
5: And I'm gone, you're glad That overwhelming tension dissipates Oh, Chad, you think I'm a baby Nobody likes to hear why don't you grow up and done I know I shouldn't have had someone else in our bed, but I was so tired, uh, so tired. Who uh. would think it find a bobby pin? It makes me mad, it makes me mad. Don't you know it just makes me mad? It just makes me mad. you throw a coffee cup in my head uh, scum you said I'm a scum what a a okay
2: uh my next pick was future farmers of america um which is the most the most rock song on the album the most uh The fastest and and kind of heaviest song um and the when when i first listened to it he's very angry in it and and i was like why is he talking shit about farmers like that's kind of i don't know i mean i know he's got a reputation for being dickish about things but i was like why that target uh (laughs) but then when i read the lyrics i realized it was it was written from the point of view of a slave so the Uh anger made sense um and not i don't have a lot to say about it except that it's just uh driving one of our favorite words and uh, (laughs) and our our favorite types of song yeah (laughs) and angry uh and righteously angry so so it works Uh, do you remember this one at all
1: i not really
2: sorry vaguely all right well let's listen let's listen to it we'll catch you up
5: Born on a farm in a transit and moonlight split like a cord of wood, my family broke up Sold like a piece of spear, a piece of meat, a cow A breathing piece of shit Pick for my age, for my strength and makeup Tall, for I was tall, I was big, I could hold up A tree or a piece of steel. I could do What my fat owner can For future farmers of America Future farmers of America farmers of I'm always watching the way his wife lets me over. I have a sex twice as big as a husband. If I wasn't so large, so strong, so pale, i disappear under
2: yeah, a... So your your next pick was uh the title of the song Ecstasy. And um I know you you uh don't have your notes with you. Do you do you remember this one?
1: What's what was the lyrics on this one?
2: Um Ecstasy your Ah oh shit, see now I'm going to you know your name is Ecstasy or they call you Ecstasy. You know what? I I will uh look the lyrics up on
1: Yeah, I kind of I I can't remember why I picked that. I'm, <laughs> I'm sorry. I, everyone listening we we planned on doing this, and I fell asleep, so I didn't take notes on <laughs> on this album. I took notes on the first album in the ten minutes before it started, because I woke up, but I didn't take notes on the next. But this one had had fun lyrics too. It's the same kind of thing—the the kind of silliness. It had. Uh, I wrapped uh, myself in duct tape, and uh, yes, that yes. kind of thing.
2: Yeah. Exactly. Um, and then, also, I mean, also, just but some a weird weirdly personal in some ways too. Like, uh, I'm, I'm looking at the lyrics now. I see a child through a window with a bib and I think of us and what we almost did. Um,
0: mm-hmm.
2: you know, stuff like that. Uh, so, God damn, somebody's yelling outside. Sorry. Um, and, and I'm going to the cafe. I hope they've got music and I hope they can play, but if we have to part, I'll have a new scar right over my heart. You know, that, that kind of, it's, it's, a. Uh, Musically, it's kind of uh, Velvet Underground-ish, um, like more more of the mellow, mellower side of the Velvet Underground, not the discordant uh, side so much. And it's got some some nice strings in it and stuff. Um, but this this is another one that that could be my favorite from the album. Um, so let's listen to it, Ecstasy.
5: They call you ecstasy, nothing ever sticks to you Not Velcro, not Scotch tape, not my arms dipped in glue Not if I wrap myself a nylon, a piece of duct tape down my back Love fears the arrow with the 12 and I can't get you back It's an old Ford that took off its wheels The engine is gone In its seat sits a box With a note that says goodbye Charlie, thanks a lot I see a child through a window with a bib And I think of us and what we almost did The Hudson rocketing with light The ships pass the Statue of Liberty at night They call it ecstasy. And um
2: my my next pick was uh rock minuet, which is uh kind of a fucked up song. Uh and and musically it's almost got like a jazzy kind of guitar, but then it's also got this um this distorted more avant-garde guitar line going over it mm-hmm. uh, which is really cool and then lyrically it's it's all kind of fucked up about about some guy who wants to kill his dad and uh ends up and goes out and and fucks around with hookers and ends up murdering a dude uh down by the docks In and, and so it's it's a uh, kind of more what you would expect from of a lou reed lyric like it's almost you know you could say Lee Reed paint by numbers in a way, but but nobody else really did this kind of stuff um, as well as he did. So so it still works. Uh, do you remember it?
1: Uh, yeah. With the it was violent.
2: Yeah, yeah, a, a violent song, but but with that really kind of uh, lulling, uh, like I said, jazzy guitar, like drawing you in in a way. Uh, just, I, I think the kind of song somebody in their 20s couldn't possibly do um, or even think of so let's listen to a bit of rock minuet
5: in the back of the warehouse were a couple of guys they had tied someone up and sewn up their eyes and it got so excited he came on his thighs To the rock near earth <music> Avenue B Saw one cruised one night It took him ten. Knife. I thought of his father as he cut his new pine and finally to the rock music. all
2: right and uh your final pick and one I remember was modern dance yeah so uh Talk this ab- is
1: this this I think the this song was more talky than the others. Was, he didn't try to do as much singing. He just kind of spoken word, not spoken word, but you know what I mean. It was. Oh, it I was do. Just, yeah. More so, conversational. And, yeah, and the, the conversation he's having is is pretty fun. It's just like what he should do and going to live in Amsterdam and go to the Van Gogh Museum. It, it's that's how it starts. It, it's just I don't know. I liked it. It's just it's vivid, and it's interesting and fun to listen to
2: it's it's a very uh you know self-reflective song Mm -hmm. and and a romantic song too i think um Mm -hmm. i mean very romantic not just in all the all the places he talks about he could go but but uh the the romantic love is is involved too yeah yeah Um,
1: it's some. isn't there something in there you couldn't be my wife or is that another song it's like no
2: that's that's this one um yeah and maybe you don't want to be a wife um it's not a life being a wife yeah um no this wow this could be my favorite too it's, it's kind of a a mid-tempo song and uh kinda, if
1: i had to pick one to be a favorite i'd probably pick this one because it stuck with me so much better than my other choices well it's kind of a it's got it's got its own beauty
2: to it this song i think yeah uh, more than the other songs on the album, for sure. Yeah, no, this is this is a really good one. Um, you wanna you wanna listen? Yes. All right, let's play it. This is modern dance.
5: Maybe I should go and live in Amsterdam in a side street near a big canal. Spend my evenings in the Van Gogh Museum. What a dream, Van Gogh. Maybe it's time to see Tangiers A different lifestyle, some different fears And maybe I should be in Edinburgh In a kilt in Edinburgh Doing a modern dance Doing a modern dance Maybe I should get a farm in Southern France Where the winds are wispy and the villages dance And you and I would sleep beneath the moon Moon in June and sleep till noon And maybe you and I could fall in love Regain the spirit that we once had you let me hold you and touch the night That shines so bright, so bright with fright Doing a modern dance Doing a modern dance
2: and uh, and those were our picks from from these albums but but um, we mentioned like a possum which is which is funny as hell um, <laughs> and it it harks back to a velvet underground song on their second album which was uh, their their harshest, most discordant album of, of any of their albums. Um, it's called white light, white heat. Uh, but the, the last song on that one is called sister Ray, which is also about 18 minute long minutes long. And, um, and just, just brutally, uh, repetitive and, and, uh, with lyrics like busy sucking on my ding dong. Um, <laughs> so this, this, this really is, is kind of like sister
1: Ray part two, uh, lyrically and musically. um, did the later Velvet Underground albums have interesting covers, or is it just kind of you can't you can't beat that banana so they didn't try? You can't really beat
2: the banana. And, uh, I mean, the second album, White Light, White Heat, was pure black with uh, just <laughs> the Velvet Underground, White Light, White Heat written on it. Um, I, oh, think, okay. I think there might have been a little lightning bolt symbol on it, too. Um, I don't have it in front of me. Um, the third album was, was black with a picture of the band on it uh, in black and white. And then uh, the, their last album, Loaded, was uh, a picture of a subway with kind of almost psychedelic-looking uh, smoke rising out of it. But, yeah, no, not, not really you, iconic album covers after the first one.
1: Do you know why they broke up?
2: Um, you know, I'm, I'm not really sure. Uh, I think Lou Reed was sick of it for whatever reason.
1: Because it's, it, it's one of those deals that's kind of interesting that they broke up because it's mostly Lou Reed writing everything. So why bother? You just want to go with other people, I guess? I don't know.
2: Yeah. I. I who knows? He, I mean, obviously, there there could easily have been uh, inter-band tensions. And I, right. think, I think there probably were at that point. I think there was another dude after after John Cale left, um, another dude who came in and, and was kind of like trying to take over
1: Oh wait, John Cale left, and they still did another album.
2: Oh yeah, they did another three. Yeah. Oh wow. Um, hold on a second. I am going to going to uh check on that. Uh, wait, wait. Did John Cale see? Now I'm, I'm fucking wait. John Cale was on the second album, I believe, because he even uh sang a song on it. Um. God damn it! Can you tell me who played on this album? wiki <laughs> uh oh it's because i'm not on the right uh the right page i need to go to the main article of white light white heat and uh yeah john kale was on the second album let's see uh let's see if kale maybe i'm thinking of sterling morrison i think left um and and so they got uh they got this guy was it Doug Ewell? I really should know this shit more. I think uh, I'm blaming the drugs right now. Um, Yeah, Doug Ewell came in to replace... uh, No, Sterling Morrison didn't leave, so John Cale left after the second album, and then Doug Ewell came in to replace him. So I think that's where the tension came in for Lou Reed. I think that was part of why he broke him up.
1: Yeah, I I feel like he should have just fired that one guy and kept the same name. Yeah, well, and I think... I mean,
2: I think he was also a little bummed out that they they didn't do better, because... The last oh. the last album they did uh, had "Sweet Jane" on it, which I think is their most famous song, probably to mm-hmm. the to the masses and and rock and roll. And it was kind of, I mean, it sounds like a bid for uh, for radio airplay, you know. Although it's still a great album, it's not you know it's not a sellout. But um,
1: was was Sweet Jane uh, in a movie like in the nineties? Was that in spotting or? Oh uh, yeah, I think
2: it was it's probably in a, a bunch of movies and of course the uh the cowboy junkies uh did a an acoustic version of it uh that was a, a minor hit in the late 80s um but i mean uh, everybody and their mothers covered that song sweet jane because um, a very simple guitar riff like a lot of their stuff um but also catchy as hell and, uh, but yeah so so i think it was just a combination of of uh, the new guy doug Ewell trying to exert more control over the band and you know the band not doing what he'd expected it to do and maybe he thought he'd have more freedom going on his own whatever um, but it's a it's an interesting career i mean his his discography is is legendarily spotty i mean there's some stuff that's great and some stuff that you're just like, what the fuck are you doing? Um, Did he
1: do perfect day?
2: Yes. Perfect day. It was all the same album as uh, walk on the wild side.
1: And but, I guess he's happy that that's used in commercials now.
2: It's Up in f- heaven. Funny. I was, I was reading a, I mean, because it's basically about, uh, drugs, <laughs> a, of course, perfect day. I, I think a heroin trip and, uh, but I was reading a, an interview with, I think it was David Bowie who produced that album uh, at the time, and he was asking him about Perfect Day, and he's like, you know, what, what it's about. And he was like, well, you know, it's about drugs and, and whatever. He's like, but, uh, but you know, in uh, 20 years, they'll be using it in advertisements.
1: <laughs> when was this interview? When, when like it came 70,
2: out? Like, 72. Oh, uh, yeah. So he's like
1: 10 years off. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Um, yeah. So he did, I mean, he's everybody should should check him out if you don't know him uh some other great out solo albums are uh The Blue Mask and uh New York I like New Sensations a lot um although not everybody does yeah it, it's he's a he's one of the greats of uh of rock and roll for sure
1: yeah i i as as i said in the beginning i didn't know Basically anything about him other than the, the the really really super famous stuff, and I I loved Ex I didn't love it, but I really liked Ex I loved I loved the first Velvet Underground album. So
2: yeah, I'll send you I'll send you some more of his stuff. Um.
1: And I'm reminded now that he he wrote or he sang satellite of love, which is they used in mystery science theater.
2: Yes. Uh, also from the transformer album with uh, walk on the wild side and
1: Man, perfect
2: day. Yeah. That's,
1: that's, that's quite an album. Yeah. I'll send it to you. Um, so David Bowie didn't, did he write any of it or he just produced it? Nope. Just produced. I, am
2: not sure Lou Reed collaborated a lot as far as writing, except for the, uh, the album he did with John Cale about, about Andy Warhol. Um, and some stuff in the Velvet Underground him and John Cale collaborated um but no he was he was a songwriter mm-hmm. uh i guess first and foremost really
1: yeah why would he want to sing other people's songs
2: yeah yeah so so cool uh, uh he's he's deserving of all the accolades he's gotten since his death and and before um and uh kind of a it, i mean it is a massive loss but you know you got to expect it when when people start getting up to this age. I mean, it's just a shame it wasn't Mick Jagger. <laughs> and Ecstasy, his last album, definitely, again, better than anything the Rolling Stones were doing at, at a similar time in their career. So
1: I think that I have a problem with the Rolling Stones because apparently in the 60s they were good and groundbreaking and people really liked that stuff. But I just think of their later just them and i don't like the 60s stuff that much
2: yeah i like them up to uh 66 around and then they started like getting decadent you know what i mean and and their music started sounding that way and and kind of like that really heavy white blues stuff which i'm not a fan of um Mm -hmm. you know i don't give a shit about eric clapton or or any of that um or led zeppelin for the most part um so, so yeah, yeah, no, I'm, I'm not, the, there, I think they did some great stuff in the, in the sixties, uh, at least until Brian Jones died and then, and, and some stuff after that I still like, but it, it's much more uh, hit and miss for me after that. And then by like 75, they were done From as far as I'm concerned, they didn't do anything worthwhile. So.
1: But they're selling out stadiums.
2: Well, yeah, of course. I mean, it's, it's the nostalgia thing, which, which. You know, we've talked about briefly before. I don't. I mean, I saw the Pixies when they were around originally, so. But I'm not going to go see a fucking Pixies reunion tour, you know, or any of these, any of these alternative rock '80s people who are who are now doing the reunion circuit. I I find it kind of sad, and I find it doubly sad with the '60s groups because, I mean. the singers especially just can't do it anymore. I don't know. People say Mick Jagger's, you know, still mesmerizing live, but from what I hear he's he's not got what he once had. So I mean, he became a caricature of himself 30 years ago. At least. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, um yeah, that was a that was a cool one. So for the next week I'm a little unclear. So we are doing uh, three ten to Yuma, right?
1: Yeah, let's do that. Let's have two uh, the, uh, episodes about dead people. Yeah. So Elmore Leonard, who died. Elmore Leonard. Uh, so we'll do three ten to Yuma, and we'll pick out a modern mystery story to, to verse it. Okay.
2: Yeah, that'll work for me. Um, that, that's what I should say. <laughs> that's what I was confused about. Uh, what we were going to compare it with. But we'll, we'll figure something out.
1: Yeah, I, I, I guess I didn't... Yeah, well, I think I have, like... Yeah, we'll figure it out.
2: I don't imagine our our listeners are going to go out and read anyway, <laughs> knowing them, so...
1: I don't know if they know how to read. Because if they did, they definitely wouldn't be listening to this.
2: Maybe... Well, yeah. Maybe they like like, uh, reading the description of the podcast and, uh... I and think that's, that's as what, far as they go with it.
1: That's why I think they don't know how to read because if they read the description, they wouldn't be hearing wouldn't our voices. No,
2: no, you're right.
1: Um, I think they just like that pretty picture.
2: It is, it is quite nice. I never mentioned, I don't think on the podcast, thanks to Neil Egan who did the graphic for us. Thank you, Neil. Yeah. Yeah. It was a very nice job. And he did it like super, uh, under, under, uh, really quick deadline for me. So I really appreciate it. Thanks, Neil. Um, and if you're not listening, uh, well, fuck you. I'll, I'll get somebody else to do our graphic. In somebody better. I'll get Andy Warhol. He'll
1: <laughs> so, just, we'll just use that banana.
2: Dude, put some chili out. Seriously, those ghosts sound like they're going crazy. That um, might make it worse. What, uh... Any, you got anything going on? Uh, not really. Well, I saw bat kid yesterday so if if you don't know um i guess you're kind of some kind of shut in with no access to any kind of media but uh the make-a-wish foundation uh for this five-year-old kid miles who said his wish was to be a superhero they got san francisco to basically go all fucking balls out for his wish so uh So they had uh, the Riddler tie a damsel to the uh, cable car tracks and had him rescue him. Had him uh, catch the Riddler in the act of robbing uh, a bank vault. Um, He took on the Penguin at AT AT&T Park, which was the part I saw uh, to save Lucille, the Giants mascot, uh, who he had tied up. And then he later got the key to the city from the mayor. And I mean, they. The, the San Francisco Chronicle printed a special uh, Gotham edition with uh, Bat Kid News on it and, you know, the Riddler and all that. And uh, they got the uh, the district attorney and I think the FBI or something to write up a, a thing saying um, listing the crimes of these various supervillains and stuff. And it was just fucking awesome, man.
1: You got a congratulations from President Obama?
2: Yes, he did. And Michelle on Twitter, at least. I didn't see that.
1: Yeah. Um, I saw the video of Obama. I, I, I find the whole thing fascinating, how, how many people wanted to get involved and they had to turn turn away volunteers and how popular it was. It was just awesome.
2: Yeah, there were huge crowds. Everybody chanting Bat Kid and uh, – and yeah, no, it was uh, – I mean – and. I, I looked at Twitter I, I don't really follow Twitter a lot anymore um, but there was it was great because uh, there was no snark about it really
1: yeah there's very very anywhere anywhere that had a story about it there's I think the closest people would come was would be someone saying I, I saw on one of the sites I wish I had leukemia when I was 13 and then he I think he thought better and edited well not really but that's really awesome
2: well good for him for editing his
1: but I mean shit. that's a that's the closest that came to negative. Everybody had great things to say about it, so I, it's.
2: I saw somebody on the Daily Mail site, I think it was, in the comments section, saying that um, that it was uh, a travesty that they were using uh, they're using our tax dollars for this. That was a cl- but you know I mean you oh you've just you've just failed at life at that point. Like <laughs> You, you don't understand what's important so um uh, the the thing about it to me was that it was just 100% pure awesome mm-hmm. that's what was so great about it. i mean how many things are there like that you know the muppets and this i mean i mean there there's things that that i think are 100% pure awesome certain songs or or movies or whatever but but there's not universal agreement on those you know but this there's just nothing nothing bad about it so it was really nice
1: I, I like that they had the Penguin look very much like the 1960s-era TV show Penguin. It was yeah. fun.
2: <laughs> yeah, so it was a it was a very cool day. I was very glad that I was in San Francisco. Um, I'm glad that we just ditched
1: work to go watch it. Um, <laughs> I don't know who talked to the parents, but whoever told them not to use their last name was really smart.
2: Yeah, no shit. And, I mean, the the one thing I was thinking was – that uh, I, I said to somebody, because um, they were like, oh my god, this was great, after after we'd finished watching. And uh, I was like, yeah, the, uh, but you know what, I bet you that kid's going to be puking his guts out tonight. Because I can't imagine how overwhelming that would be for <laughs> a kid, too. I mean, totally awesome, but but Jesus, at five years old, I can't imagine like all that
1: happening for me. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I I, kid's already been through terrible things, so it's nice that he went through something overwhelming in an awesome way. Uh, That's true.
2: That no, you're right. He's been through overwhelming shit in a negative way, so Um, yeah. So uh, good job, Make a Wish Foundation. Yeah, and good job, people of San Francisco. I have to say, Um, there's a lot of support and a lot of just goodwill, and and not any you know, no shitheads in the audience. Trying, yeah, trying to fuck with anybody or or anything like that. So, yeah, that was uh that was my thing. Um, so, recommendations?
1: Oh, uh, Thor! I saw the new Thor this week, and it was a lot of fun. It was a lot. I think it's accessible to someone who hasn't seen the other movies, and if you have seen the other movies, is even more accessible, and it's very funny. I think it's the funniest superhero movie in a long time has a great sense of humor and um cat dennings is awesome in it and it's makes me happy that she can still be awesome in spite of how bad two broke girls is she's a, a very funny actress and it's too bad that two broke girls are so terrible because i like her so much yeah so go see thor uh whatever the rest of the name is the second thor my recommendation
2: um i guess will be uh because I was reading about it today, and it reminded me, uh, Raymond Chandler, the long goodbye um, novel. If you're not familiar with, with him, uh, with uh, Philip Marlowe as his, his detective. Uh, Chandler wrote in, in, what, the 40s and into the 50s, uh, a series of, of hard-boiled detective fiction, and uh, just one of the great stylists, and, you know, transcends genre fiction. Uh, like very few people do. And I, that's the one to start with, uh, in my opinion, is The Long Goodbye, um, which was the one that was made into kind of a weird,
1: terrible movie with uh, Elliot Gould. Yeah, I've, I've often wondered how that movie is. I never saw it, but I wonder. Is he, he doesn't play Philip
2: Marlowe, does he? Yes, he does. And wow. And plays him bizarrely. Uh, John Huston directed, I think... I'm um, I'm not sure, but uh, no, no, not John Houston. God damn it! Uh, who is the dude uh, who did Nashville? Robert Altman.
1: Uh, really? Robert Altman directed, <laughs> and I, he's one of those those directors that you can love him or. Hate him. There's no people who can take or leave him, unless you can take or leave him. I don't know, but most of the time I hear people talking about how they hate him, or people like me who really love his movies.
2: I love him. I, I mean, I don't think everything he did was great, but I I no, love, I love no, him overall. But if it's it's
1: interesting that he 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 went with Elliot Gould for that.
2: Yeah, and and the the way Elliot Gould played him, uh, he was like kind of a mumbly schlub with with. with <laughs> Like, like no toughness to him, really. It was weird. It was, it was
1: a bad idea.
2: Um, but the book is not. Uh, so check that out. That's my recommendation for
1: the week. What's the Oh Big Sleep? I thought the big. What is is Long Goodbye the first one? I don't know the. Uh, I don't know the chronology. I of, guess it doesn't matter. Yeah,
2: it, it really doesn't matter actually. Um, well, I mean the Big Sleep is is good. Oh, you can read all of Chandler. There's nothing bad there. Um. Yeah just a long goodbye sticks in my mind is my favorite. The big sleep is great too. And uh, the
1: step on your recommendation, who do you, but who do you like better? Hammett or, or Chandler? That was what I was reading about.
2: Uh, that reminded me of it. I prefer Chandler. Um, just cause I think he's more, uh, more of a poet of life. Whereas I think, uh, Hammett was, was very much, uh, just straight ahead plot. Hammett's great. Don't get me wrong. Um, but I thought, I thought Chandler was more artful and more human in a way.
1: I th- I think I prefer Hammett, and I think I prefer Hammett because his characters are are more memorable and more interesting. Huh.
2: I mean, I I I can't fault you for it. I love The Glass Key is one of the great novels of the twentieth century too. So.
1: Yeah. I, oh, he, all his all his just like Chandler, all his stuff is great. And then I'm not knocking Chandler in any way. I like him too. I just I just like oh. Hammett a little bit more.
2: Yeah, and I I wasn't trying to knock Hammett. I think they're both great and I think you should read everything both of them have done and it's not a lot of work, so it's it's uh No, no it isn't. I mean, to do you?
1: I mean, for Hammett, he he didn't I think he died early, maybe? He, Cuz he doesn't have a, a a lot to read.
2: No, and and Chandler started late. Okay. And uh and worked very sporadically um,
1: but with both of them, even if there was a lot to read, they're easy not easy reads, but um, well, they're quick reads, quick reads. And really, once you start reading, they're delightful and you don't want to put them down. So that's what makes them easy.
2: Yeah. Yeah. No, exactly. They're no, they're they're both very intelligent. And like I said, transcend genre fiction for sure.
1: Well, I, they pretty much created that genre. So,
2: yeah. Yeah. But I mean, there's but there have been billions of of pale imitators, you know, yeah. in their yeah. wake. Um, and they were the best. So, yeah, that's my recommendation.
1: That's a um, good one. I have a, a a a sort of a recommendation to go along with Thor. Um, there is a Tumblr called Seinfeld. Have you seen this? No, it's just it's called Seinfeld. Seinfeld, like Seinfeld with a T at the end. Oh, Seinfeld. Okay. Right, and it's I just some guy who makes up absurd Seinfeld plots.
2: Oh, you told me about it. I don't remember if it was on on air or not. Uh, oh, yeah, that sounds really cool.
1: It's just, oh, I I should find one to read because it is really funny. Some of them are are long, but some of them are just short. Oh man, it's it's a it's it's a funny idea, and they do it. Whoever does it does it really well. Are let you? going to look I, for one. I found uh I found one. It's a little uh. Let me just do this short one. It's not that. It it might not be the funniest, but it, it gives you an idea. It's not that long. Okay. It's called the flute. Elaine refuses to date a man who is clearly showing interest in her, solely because she refuses to lose lose anyone ever else ever again. Kramer loses one of the, of the Sankara Stones, watching it tumble over a 100-foot-tall waterfall. Realizing the futility of trying to recover it, he shrugs his shoulders and heads to the nearest international airport. The children in the mine have no idea. Cherry climbs the rope all the way to the top, only to realize it's supported by nothing at all. He, he hears a faint flute. George only realizes that he's living in a miniature bottled version of New York City when he passes by a Goliath bottle that is the size of a Bus, glass glass beetle the size of the bus. Most of them are funnier than that, but they all have that kind of absurd idea. Oh, that's really Seinfeld cool. <laughs>
2: yeah, I will check that out. Seinfeld. Uh,
1: Seinfeld. 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 Tumblr. Com. and I, I wish I there's one that really made me laugh, and I'm not not seeing it right now, and I don't know if it's one of the long ones or, or not, but man, it's it's a lot of fun just to go through them and read them.
2: All right, well. On that, uh, in the same vein, I'll, I'll do a second minor, uh, recommendation to you, which is every, if you don't know about it, I, again, you must be a shut-in, but, uh, damn you autocorrect. Shit's fucking funny.
1: <laughs> it really is.
2: It's, if you don't know, it's, uh, it's people post, um, weird autocorrects that their phones do, usually awkward or, uh, or hilarious. So, there you go. Um, this has been a very, uh. This has been a very positive and happy episode, I feel like.
1: Let me read one more because I think this one's funnier. Okay. The Neuroses is, George can't decide what his wedding cake should be, chocolate or red velvet, and gives himself a heart member trying to figure it out. Regardless, he's still not even dating anyone, let alone getting married. Elaine wails about the difficulties of being a woman in the workplace, and while that is indeed a trial... Elaine neglects to acknowledge that she works for a bumbling fool who really doesn't care at all what it is Elaine does. Kramer feels that if he doesn't come up with yet another glorious invention soon, he'll lose his audience, and all his hard work will be for naught. Jerry reveals that he has been living a secret life with his twin, Jerry with a G, Seinfeld. There's no way on earth I could have been able to handle all your neurotic poster personalities full-time, he tells George, Kramer, and Elaine. <laughs> I like the Jerry with a G. Yeah, and uh, that's another running gag that goes all the way through... Uh, for some reason, they've decided Kramer is a, an inventor. So there's a lot of episodes involved in Kramer inventing things. Cool. Well, uh,
2: check it out, you bunch of dodo birds.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's very positive. Very fun episode. Yeah, I liked Kinda it. Low-key. Yeah. But hope that... everyone enjoyed it. And if you didn't, tell us at popculturecontinuum at com.
2: And uh, for the record, I don't give a shit if you enjoyed it. So... Uh... Put that in your pipe and eat it. Okay. Well, we ready, I guess, until next time. Goodbye, everybody.
1: Goodbye.
0: One, two, three. She's a real left winger, cause bend been down south and has peasants in her arms. She said, I could tell you stories. Excuse me.